Are your customer acquisition costs too high? Lifetime values too low? Are you uncertain if your communication strategies are helping or hurting the efficiency and effectiveness of your marketing efforts? Welcome to the Continuous Revenue Marketer podcast, where the most influential marketers in the world are sharing their insights and lessons on the critical topics they and their chief executives must address daily. How to drive consistent business growth by delivering more revenues through profitable acquisition and customer lifetime value maximization strategies. What you'll hear by listening to this podcast are the actual strategies and tactics our marketing experts are using to achieve their critical missions. Hi, I'm Russell Kern, CEO and founder of Kern, an Omnicom agency, and I'm joined with my co-host and producer, Elliot Dennis. And today, I'm excited to welcome to our podcast, Saj Patel, our SVP of data for Kern. Elliot, over to you. Yeah, Saj, uh, thanks so much for joining us. We're really excited to have you on board, especially given your long career client side for global brands like HSBC and FTD Flowers. So, you know, you're new to the agency side. This is your first turn uh, over your career at an agency. So, you know, what drove you agency side and you know, what do you like so far about the switch? <laughs> well, first of all, thanks for uh, letting me join here. Excited to be here. And yeah, I think what drove me to the agency side and really what I like so much about it is just the variety of experiences, right? Being on the client side, I think you can get really constrained with the particular brand and, you know, the variety, basically the, you know, the industry constraints, the competitive situation and the financial situation they're in and the analytical problems that you're trying to solve are all kind of within that particular brand. Whereas, here on the agency side, on any given day, I could be working for a telecom company. I could be talking to a financial services organization and a healthcare in any given day with all various different levels of maturity on the analytics and, and data scale. So that part of it has been a lot of fun. And, you know, as I was kind of considering opportunities, you know, a lot of experience on the client side, and I just feel like I can bring the client perspective here on the agency side as we interact with with our with our clients. So yeah, so far so good. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, most definitely it has been so far so good. So again, thank you for for joining our team. Um, you became the you know head of CRM and customer analytics and financial services, and then the head of um, e-commerce, if you will, during a seismic shift in those industries. You had data privacy laws popping up left and right. Uh, we all know what's going on in retail. So. Can you share some learnings and advice for, with our audience from the success you had during those periods of, of uh, seismic shifts? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, for me, Elliot, I, I really, you know, it, everything kind of comes down to basics for me. And, you know, wh whether I was in financial services or in e-commerce, really brands need to truly understand who their best customers are. And, and you know, that's kind of a mantra that, that I've really pushed forward with in, in my entire career. You know, what is it about the brand that truly resonates with the best customers and how can we find more of those people, right? So that, that's point one, uh, personalizing the experience with your customers, right? So they feel uh, the brand understands them. There's that, you know, connection and loyalty, which ultimately drives a high LTV. And I think t today, you know, there's, a, there's an additional dimension, right? I think customers really understand that, they're sharing their data with a brand. And I think with that, um, they wanna make sure that they, they have expectations on the brand, right? The brand should be responsible with their data and they should be delivering relevant experiences um, for their customer. And if the brand can't do that, they risk losing customers, right? 
Uh, and then finally, it, it's, it's about what are the big problems you're trying to solve, right? Um, and, and that'll be a common theme in a lot of my responses because you really want to build your use cases for investment, the kind of data that you pull together based on those use cases that are going to make an impact, whether it's going to drive a more personalized experience for your customer, going to have some sort of, of strategic impact for the business, so on and so forth. Financial services is an interesting space. You know, a lot of, that's where I really cut my teeth in data. It's a very strategic space, you know, big industrial grade data. Um, you know, I, 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 I can give you an example of where I was back uh, with a retail bank that was really having challenges on the retail side. And, um, you know, their problem was they had a lot of foot traffic coming into the branches, but their sales productivity was very low. And so what we ended up doing is, is really partnering with our sales management and ultimately developing a next best action framework for, uh, for branch staff. So ultimately what happens would, would be, you know, customer Elliot Dennis comes into a branch, authenticates, and we had a series of models and business rules in the background that we served up to the branch staff to have a very relevant conversation with the customer. And, and it was really impactful because, you know, customers, when they're going in the branches, they want to have that interaction with the bank, right? They want to, they want somebody to talk to them about their banking needs. And so um, that's, that's one example of, of personalization, okay. right? So Saj, I remember you sharing this story and I think it's really one of the most powerful stories because it's about lifetime value maximization from behind the scenes, behind the curtains. And as part of the use case, I suspect when you run the math of what is the value of next best purchase and pro proactive um, upsell and cross-sell, the returns must be much more significant than new customer acquisition or second lifetime win back. Can you, can you speak to the, the value of putting effort against predictive and proactive upsell? from data, from a data perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. So again, in, in the scenario where you have, you have your customers who are coming into the brand where they really want to interact with you, right. Taking the customer data, understanding the profile of the customer, how they've been interacting, right. Are they coming in because they have an issue with the bank and their deposit products? Are they a wealthy individual and they need to, you know, we really should be thinking about them in terms of wealth management and bringing more of their assets in. So I think it's that combination of knowing something about the customer, where they are in their financial journey. And again, being able to hit them at a time that they really want to interact with the bank. And you know, we had an archaic model where we were basically calling people at dinner time, right? <laughs> Trying to talk to them about, about credit cards or wealth management. And it, it just doesn't work anymore. Right. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's to your point, it really, you know, being able to really truly understand your customer and drive the most li lifetime value out of them by understanding who they are, what they are is so much more effective than going out and getting, getting, you know, Sorry. acquiring your customer. Elliot, if you don't mind, I'm going to click down on this because there's some real meat and potatoes here with some real truth in terms of you mentioned the word financial journey, not buyer's journey. And so I wonder how you see that different. And then the other thing is, how did how did you build the models? What's the, what's a little bit of the science? Not that we need all the math, 
But you know, yeah. you had to make some scientific determinations that these indicators indicated this versus those. How did you do a post analysis of customers? Where does someone start when they're saying is, you know what, I want my cross sell to be better. Hey, data team, you know what, there's money sitting right under our things. These are the three things we, because our audience is CMOs, what would be the charge the CMO needs to get to the data leader, given your experience on the client side? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a question. lot of questions I just asked at <laughs> once, but let's do the last one, the charge, and then we'll go to fire journey for financial. But what's the charge to the data leader? How does the data leader make it happen for the CMO and the business? Yeah. Well, I think it, I think it comes down to a couple things, right? You, you, you definitely want the data leader to be well connected with the CMO and the product folks. And really, you know, it starts with understanding, again, that value prop, right? The institution you're working for, you know, what what is it? What products do they have that resonate with the customer? And and so I think it is a little bit of that post. It starts with a little bit of that post analysis, right? You have customers of those customers that you brought in, you know, which one of them became, you know, higher LTV customer. So, you know, by proxy, you can assume that that those types of customers that stuck with you and, 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 you know, were upsold into different products and, and services and, and deepen that relationship. There was something about that relationship that resonated. And I think that's a great starting point uh, to build off of. Once you can do that, you know, you can, you can, you, know, you can take the data you have, you can enrich it with third-party data, and then you can try to understand a little bit more about that customer's, you know, life attitude, as I mentioned, you know, where they are in their financial journey. And I think those kinds of insights help us in terms of understanding a little bit more predictive framework on how do we go about acquiring those types of like customers. And, and I'm going to throw you a, a, a sidewall question, which is... Sure. So in Omnicom, we have we have Omni, yes. we have Q, we have yeah. all sorts of exclusive proprietary insight research tools that yes. weren't available five years, even five years ago. How do they sit and play to help a data leader get better insight? And how do you, you know, where if you were on the client side, why would you use these tools to help you? Just for you know transparency, I'm less familiar with Q, but I have had a bit of experience with with Omni, and and yeah, it's a great tool, right? I think I think as a data leader, as a brand, you know, look as a brand. To me, everything starts with your first party data, right? There's nothing that can replace that, you know, understanding the interaction and the relationship a customer has with you and your brand. So I think that's always going to be the starting point, and you can do some analysis and modeling right there to tease out differences in behavior and so on and so forth. Now, a tool like Omni is great where you can then take that first party data, move it into an anonymized environment like Omni and, and, and Omni has, you know, is a representation of just about every adult in the US. I think it's like 247 million adults. There's 5,000 attributes around, you know, media behavior, you know, hobbies and travel and attitudes and so on and so forth. So taking that and putting it on top of your first party data just enriches the, the, the perspective or the view of that customer, right? Whereas, you know, back in the day, you would have your customer data and have a few demographics and, and, and that's where, you know, 
that's that was your kind of separation or understanding of the customer where today i think you know with, with tools like omni that have that many attributes and are really looking at how you digitally interact um just gives you a much richer view and a more targeted view of a customer that you can ultimately activate on okay so Elliot, let me throw it back to you you know i always do my little Let's go. Let's go on a side trail now. Back to the main. Trail. No, the side trail it definitely leads into uh, one of the conversation points. That, and Saj and I were talking about ahead of our our conversation here is the art and the science of data. So you know, in your own words, Saj, what do you feel the differences between data problem solving and, and data creativity? Yeah, I mean, so uh, it's a good question, right? I mean, I think data problem solving is is a little more concrete, right? You're you're analyzing digital data to solve problems, right? I think. I think today with the just the explosion of digital data data right you need you need real specialists to make sense of that and garner the utility out of that data so to me you know in, in all my throughout my career I've always had data engineers to collect that necessary data connect it together and validate on it and then and then you need folks like analytics types or or data scientists that can start really finding the answers around questions like which users are, are likely to become customers, you know, how can they be converted, so on and so forth. And, and I think that to me is a bit of, you know, the concrete uh, data problem solving, right? When, when we think about data creativity, um, I guess I would say, you know, it's a bit about leveraging data and, you know, algorithmic decisioning really to support the human-led development of creative ideas, right? And I think with the power of technology, you know, data scientists, so on and so forth, AI, you can really improve those insights on the customer in a real more precise way, which just gets a much richer understanding of what customers do and, and really better emotionally resonates with those kind of creative ideas. So that to me is a little bit of, of data creativity versus, you know, the, the data problem solving. Yeah, you touched on two really ex exciting future, you know, trends emerging, not even emerging, they're already emerged, but, you know, they will continue to be emerging trends as AI and NextBex action when it comes to data activation. So can we just take a step back for a second and to all of our listeners, maybe uh, share some tips or some best practices that they could do to transform their companies to properly segment their data uh, so that they can implement AI decision engines that ultimately determine next best action? Yeah, for sure. Um so as I mentioned at the earlier the recording, right? Like I, I'm a huge fan that everything starts with use cases, right? Whether you really want to understand is is what you're doing um, really going to fulfill the acquisition use case, retention? Is it a pricing thing? Are you trying to you know help better understand uh, to make some product decisions, right? And the reason I say that is again, there's so much data out there. There's so many potential technology investments you can make. So if you can really hone in on the use cases, it's going to really guide the kind of data, the technology investments, and the models that are being built. So to me, everything starts with, with use cases. Um, after that, right, it comes down to your tech infrastructure, right? You want to take a and, and, and really how do you get how do you drive the most utility out of your data assets? So you want to look at your, your, your tech infrastructure. You want to see if, you know, do you have the kind of tools that, that are bringing all the different types of data that you need into one place? Are you being able to stitch together a profile, you know, via CEP, 
from an analytical perspective, if you're going to be pretty sophisticated in your analytics, you have a workbench or an analytical environment that helps you really seamlessly integrate across systems for scale development. Um, so again, that's kind of the data component. When we look at then the next step to me comes down to analysis and decisioning, right? So um, can you build a system of models that recommend and make critical decisions across channels and journeys? Um, you want to be able to use a myriad of different models, you know, whether it's clustering, neural nets, Markov, gradient boost, time series, so on and so forth. So you want to be able to use the whole suite and not be limited. Um, and then ultimately produce outputs that can be embedded into orchestration engines to, that you can activate on. Um, and so, um, and then finally the activation piece, you know, you need MarTech solutions and, and um, to be able to then deploy and orchestrate, you know, inbound and outbound across all channels. So that's a little bit of a, you know, very high level view of the different components that you need to be able to do effective segmentation and ultimately decision against it. Thanks, Saj. These have been great responses and really appreciate your sophisticated knowledge uh, for those that are on their, you know, their data journey, if you will. So just kind of one last question for our audience as they're looking ahead to 2022 and, you know, all the ways to evolve and transform their marketing organizations. What do you feel are a few quick wins or quick, you know, a few quick, easy steps that CMOs can implement to keep up with the future of data and marketing technologies, and especially for those that might not be as far along on their journey? I know, one of the things you and I have talked about is data objectivity and why it's so important for companies to own their own data versus renting it. So maybe you could start there with those that just aren't as sophisticated as capturing their own first party data. What are some some quick wins they could do there? Yeah, absolutely. Right. I mean, I think data objectivity is is really critical. And, you know, whether you're looking at your own first party data or you're looking at supplementing your first party data with third party data, you want to make sure that you're object as objective as possible, you know, with the with that data because it ultimately influences the predictive power of your models and your analytics, which ultimately then can impact your your you know can have a strategic impact to your brands. And so, I think that's important, right? On the first party data side, I would say um, you really want to make sure that you have the appropriate governance in place and that the quality of your data elements that you're using are really sound. Uh, as far as third-party data goes, you know, third-party data is great to, to bring that color to your, your customer. Uh, and there's a lot of great data providers out there. But I think the reality is, is that so much of the data sets that you'll get, large portion of those are, are, um, are model data, right? They're probabilistic, up to 70%. And so, you know, variables as simple as household income and number of children can vary greatly depending on the, the data provider that you use. And so ultimately, again, going back to your use case and your model, those variables that matter to it, you, you just want to be super objective. And we, I know we at Omnicom, you know, really that's the, we really believe that's our philosophy is to be as objective as possible when it comes to, when it comes to data. Um, and then I think, Elliot, you were, you were kind of mentioning around owning your first party data. I think that's a great, like, again, this year is the year, right, where we're going to, where Chrome, you know, Google is going to cut out uh, third party cookies in Chrome and, you know, what's going to happen to retargeting and, and display advertising. Um, I think with that, it, it's just a, a reminder for, for brands and CMOs and, and tech leaders to be able to really 
you know, harness and 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 kind of manage their first party data. I think it's 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 going to be ultimately. It's always been critical, and to me personally, throughout my career, it's, it is the most powerful piece of data that you're ever going to have, and it's a true competitive advantage. Um, but it's it's still amazing to me that so many brands just don't um, haven't put the time, the energy, the investment in in doing something with their first party data. So. That would be my, uh, you know, my my tip advice is is really work towards. I mean, everyone has that data, right? So you can start with what you have, and then think about how to 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 stitch it together, how to build profiles, how to make more tech investments to do more with that data and garner more utility out of it. But you know, you know, Saj, you know, Saj, the interesting piece that you bring up is that we've been in the transition where the CMO was CMO of communications, of art, of brand, <laughs> of connectivity, but winning businesses are the CMO of technology, of data and communication. And so the CMO of the coming years has to have a duality of skill sets that might move them out of their comfort zone one way or another from communication to data or data to communication um, but you can't survive and thrive without both those skill sets as we move forward in the modern era of the empowered buyer and the in charge buyer and the personalized communication. And I also do think it's important to ask and remind the CMO, don't go on the journey alone. And it's okay to get second and third opinions because the industry is evolving so quickly and everybody has an opinion but the complexity that we're facing, because we're still in an infancy of artificial intelligence, of data, of you know where models used to be built and how they're going to be built and what's going to be happening, that the wise CMO would get multiple points of view to confirm their recommendations of their leadership team on both sides, the communication and the integration with data, then go alone. So um, at least that's what I, what I took away and I want to recommend to our, to our audience any other closing thought on that? No, it's, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's interesting just in my career alone, right? Um, over the last 15 years, I've seen, you know, I've reported to many CMOs and I've seen them go from being very brand oriented, you know, leaders to, you know, in today's day and age, you, you have to have that data savviness and, and there's just so much performance marketing elements um, that are data driven that, that, you know, to your point, Russell, I, it, it's it's imperative to have both those skill sets. So, um, yeah, and to build agreed. a really a build a high power. You know, this is about the CMO as leader. Yeah. They don't have to do it alone. A leader builds an incredible team of complementary skills to succeed. And so, if there was ever a time to look at the marketing org and understand the CMO as leader, you know, really all that what that means to bring comms and data and implementation and cost controls together. Now is the time. So I thank you, Saj, for your time. And on behalf of Elliot and myself, um, I want to thank all of our listeners for joining us today. Please make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And until next time, I'm Russell Kern. The Continuous Revenue Marketer has been brought to you by Kern an Omnicom precision marketing agency that helps Fortune 500 companies increase revenue from customer acquisition to loyalty through personalization at speed and scale. For more information, please visit kernagency.com.